Hello, my name is Evan Jacobs and welcome to the Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir Aftermath podcast. These interviews are part of an ongoing series chronicling the hardcore punk music scene in Orange County, California and sometimes elsewhere. They are an addendum to the film Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir. This is a documentary I made that chronicles the 1990s hardcore punk scene. You can stream Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir on Vimeo. For $2 a month, you can watch every Anadimia film by subscribing to Anadimia Films Unlimited on Vimeo. Links for all this stuff are in each episode description. To support this podcast, please like, rate, and review it. Also, please subscribe to Anadimia Films TV on YouTube, where you can view all of these podcasts in their original video form. Okay, so, you know, I'm sure you thought the conversation was going to begin, this hardcore conversation. Um, what in the world's an AVA white book? Well, I, like, break it, break it down. Oh, that, well, the, the, the white book has always been joked as the, kind of like the white Bible of behavior analysis, right? So applied behavior analysis is this kind of science of human behavior, right? It's, it's this really nice um, circumstances view of problem behavior or any behavior. So basically everything that we do, we learn. So it's a really wonderful way to look at the world because there's really no people that are broken or it's just people that have different skill sets and sometimes they get them in trouble, right? But it's because they worked in the past. So I do, I, I apply that in the, in the field of education, but um, maybe I think the first one was in the nineties, late nineties was the first edition that came out. But basically there is the white book, which is kind of the textbook in behavior analysis. I mean, there's lots of great textbooks out there, but everybody refers to that. They use it to study. And so I actually have a copy back here that's this is the newest edition. I think there's been this the third edition. Um, and I've had all, all the, the versions, but this is, you know, it's, it's just a great reference. It's like a compendium of all the different procedures and things that you need to know in behavior analysis. So I teach a lot of classes in behavior analysis. I do a lot of interventions. So I always kind of have this close by. Where can I just get that off Amazon? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. You know, a couple of years ago, I mean, this is not a plug. It's kind of funny. I wrote. Oh, no, no, no. I've, I've seen this, but show it, show it, show it. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, I have like a little... Duncan like, posted about a it. A dummies version. Like like this little dummies version. No, then why, why don't I buy that? I'm going to get that. Why didn't I buy that one? That's the one that, that I need. Well, it's, this is just like, like just as, this is for a lay person. This is like, oh, just kind of the basic principles uh, kind of laid out for folks. I'm uh, a lay person. This is like, this is like... Um, Sunny D, right? And this is like your fresh squeezed orange juice with every possible thing in it. This, but this is, you know, uh, yeah. So, no, I need your no, I need your book. I mean, I've been doing this stuff for fourteen years. You just send me an email. I'm gonna, I'll send you everything that you need. Anything you want, we'll get it covered. You don't have to order anything. We'll figure stuff out. Well, then it goes this way for the movies or any of the books that I've that I've written. You want anything, you just, like, like I'll send you and you just look it over. And you might look at it and say, you know what, Evan, I want none of this. And that and that is going to be okay. <laughs> but, dude, um, well, because, like, I've been doing this for, like, 14 years. And I remember, like... When I when I started, and you have probably heard this a lot, because okay, so I'm I'm all I'm a behavior interventionist. That's what they call us, and um, like I started off doing it, 
And I, I, I found myself very frustrated because you're told to do things a certain way because the idea is, you know, if everyone's doing it the same way, the, the client, child, whoever, man, woman are going to learn it. But what I ultimately found was I need to do it in a way that I'm comfortable with. And I need to also be honest with myself about the types of people that I work with who I think I am the most um, best paired, paired up with. There are some yeah. people that, that work with nonverbal people and people that have crazy behaviors and they rush to that. Like they, they, I am more of like, put me in like an academic situation with a student that's going to really be having a difficult time. And I like, so I come alive in that situation. Is that something that you see often? And like, what is your per yeah. perspective on all, all that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple different things. One, like, you know, I'm not going to go like way up here with it. The idea is like, it totally makes sense that people should be working in areas to which they're comfortable with. And what, what is behind that comfort is lots of different things. I mean, there's, there's elements of the, the types of activities that the students are supporting that you kind of like yourself, you've had some success. And so you're reinforced, you feel confident in that area. Um, I work with a range of folks. Like a lot of my research has been around teaching writing to kids with complex needs because of intellectual disabilities, autism, kids that have minimal vocal behavior. But I also spend most of the time when people call me to come out, it's about problem behavior. And we're talking pretty, pretty severe problem behavior. And so, uh, what, what's really interesting for me is a lot of, a lot of teachers, I'm also in a, I'm in a teacher training and a BCBA training program at a university. A lot of teachers just aren't prepared for really hard behaviors. And so it's almost traumatic for them. And I don't think it's because they're bad or not. Um, do you, know, you mean like gen ed teachers or do you mean teachers that are in a special well, ed? Okay. Special ed teachers. I mean, because special ed teachers, they get their behavior management course usually like the year before they graduate. So they've forgotten all of it. They come out there and then they get like an 18-year-old that's, you know, smearing poop or, or coming at self-injury or coming yeah. at them, right? And and suddenly they're like, wait a minute, I'm not good at what I was supposed to do. And I, I think it's really traumatic and sad. I think that we don't do a good job of listening to teachers um, and, and really being honest about the difficulties of the job, right, and, and, and setting them up. So I, I think – you can train for sure new repertoires in people. You know, like Evan, I could we could sit down and we could train you how to be the best at working with kids that are engaged in the most severe behaviors. But you're not going to do it if that's not where you're what you enjoy the most. And it, and and I think that sometimes we have these value judgments in education. Like, well, what's wrong with Evan? He doesn't work with those kids. No, you just kind of find your niche, and that's what you're into, right? Well, I, so I remember saying like. When I, because eventually it came to a point where I, I had to talk to someone about this just because of like what I was feeling. And I said, look, I go, well, I'm not looking for easier. I go, that's not what this is about. I go, I just want that engagement. And so like, oh, yeah. give me more, give me more, give me more. But it was more, you know, and I just, you bring up a really good point. Like a lot of, a lot of teachers are not like, like they get that one course but then it's like suddenly they're thrown in and they're dealing with behaviors and, you know, challenging behaviors of the likes that they've never seen. And it's but with a bunch of other kids at the same time, yep. Yep. like in a textbook, you can, you can visualize yourself saying, Oh, I can implement this strategy. But then when you're doing it and answering parents questions, teaching 10, 20 other kids, 
Like it's a total, it's almost, it's almost an impossible job to do. And so a lot of, the, so that, that's a lot of the things I talk about. I do a lot of speaking and it's really about letting teachers off the hook a little bit, not about accountability or quality, but letting them know that, yeah, your job is almost impossible and it's okay to be stressed about it. So let's just start, you know, kind of growing a little bit at a time. But I, for you, Evan, I would say that, and I think you already know this, like the work that you're doing is equally as impactful. Like I get sad because nobody ever calls me out because a kid is not learning fast enough. And that's really where my reason, I mean, that's what I study. That's what I'm pretty good at. But they call me out because the challenging behavior that's happening. And so there are millions of kids. I mean, I, I see it every day. I go to schools all the time. Kids that are just not getting great instruction or are struggling, not responding to what you know the teachers give. And they need extra support. And they're just not getting it. And because they're not getting it, their outcomes are, you know, are, are going to be less optimal than, I mean, there are kids that we can really give some great shots. Like we can really support that are not getting that. And I, and, and again, I think that they're both significantly, they're both important. Certainly. I mean, it's really, when somebody's engaged in self-injury or really dangerous behavior, there's a level of like immediacy, but just in terms of long-term impact, we need people that love both that type, both those types of work. Well, that and that is that is the thing. And and I mean, I love my district. I love where I work. Like, there's like stuff happening, and people bring up like the union and this and that, and all the different jobs. Like, oh, you know, this isn't in my job description. And my only complaint to any of that would be, I think, what they should do with whether you're just whether you are a paraeducator, whether you are a behavior interventionist, whether no matter what type of aid you are, is. Just ask everyone, hey, where do, like, like what environment do you want to be in? And then kind of go from, go from there. And I initially started off, I was going to become a teacher. And then once I got into being a behavior interventionist, I was like, I love this. I literally get to work directly with the students without having to deal with, with a lot of the stuff I'm sure that you've probably dealt with in your life with, um, whereas I love the parents, but I mean, that can kind of wear on you, I would think, if you had 30 parents, you know, you have 15 kids, that's 30 parents, plus you have the administration, plus you have lawyers, plus you have all the, like, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do well with all that. But I love the immediate, like, we're working together and, and yeah, I, I, I just, when I saw that you were doing this, when I, when Duncan did the post and I saw what your book was about, I was like, that makes all the sense in the world that he would be involved in this field. So, you know, it's uh, great to reconnect. How many years later? Back, 27 back years? It. <laughs> I mean, it, it has been. I mean, I, it's, it's, it, I turned 50 this year, and it's just unbelievable. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you. Now I'm going to go into the to the uh, interview questions. But um, just yeah. so you know, also, but, but before our last talk, Farside was playing, and... Before and they were playing with that one band. Oh gosh, who is that one band? Oh my gosh, they were big '90s band, Louisville, I think. That's is it where falling they... forward. No, no, keep going. They're falling forward. It was, it was. Oh god, it was one of those bands. They were good. They Rodan. were. Rodan. No, was it Rodan? No, 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 no. It was. Rain. Uh, you're saying from Louisville? It was like, oh gosh, I forget. Split lip. Split left from Indiana, yeah. It may have been, yeah. It was one of those. It was it was one of those. I saw you on the stage and I said, hey, I forget what band it was. I said, hey, I hear you're doing a new band. 
and you yelled back at me, I need a bath. And then we just kind of went from, and then we just laughed. And then we talked after this. But, okay, how does Rob Pennington, young Rob Pennington, or I should say younger Rob Pennington, how does he get into hardcore? Punk, all of it. Neighbor. Neighbor. So older dude, yep, older dude, Myron Hardesty. Uh, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a combination of things. So, like, it was uh, some background work by my older neighbor, Myron, who uh, was a couple years older, had a mohawk, was the paper boy. You know, I was, like, seventh grade listening to Rat and Bert, Motley Crue record and whatever. And he's like, no, no, you need to listen to this. And then simultaneously started, you know, I was bully bait at my school. And so then I found, like, friend Christy Canfield and a few other folks that were kind of in the new wave. And then around eighth grade or so, I just started um, listening. I think I got, I think I, it might be the cassette flip your wig, I think. Who's um, do. But anyway, I started getting into, uh, uh, people just started sharing music with me and then it was on, you know, it was just kind of like, I found a community. I found a place I was safe. Uh, there was some, you know, there there was some parental stress at home. I just needed a, a community, and this was perfect. And so yeah, that's kind of how it happened. And then I, I like I did it all. You know, I was a skateboarder. I was sneaking off, going to shows. Uh, I would go to school and sneak my combat boots in my backpack, so my dad wouldn't know. Why uh, were were your parents like vehemently against punk, or were they just? Or uh, they were just. I mean, they're all. They're awesome, but they were, you know, they were from a very country background, a little more conservative. Uh, my mom was ultimately the best always in terms of kind of advocating for me and stuff, but they, it was just really different for them. You know, uh, I, I was laughing. I was told somebody the other day, I remember I was like 16, my dad's out mowing the lawn. And remember, they're like Baptists, you know, the, uh, Ray Capo and the, the Hare Krishnas drive down my street and pick me up. Like, cause there's some show in Louisville and I jump in a band with a bunch of Hare Krishnas. My parents were just like, why? You know, so based on their, their learning history and what their expectations of life should be, seeing their son this way, they were just like, are you in a cult? What is happening? You know? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I understand why they were so, you know, weirded out by it all. Uh, but yeah, so that, 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 it was just a, it was just a perfect community. So I did all that. I skateboard. I wasn't that great at skateboarding. I think I stopped when we were doing bonelesses still on the street before we got on the kickflips and stuff. And then I got into a band and I was like, Oh, this is awesome. And so what band was this? Back. What, what band? Uh, the first band ever was called society stricken. It's terrible. <laughs> and then I think we played one show and then I got into a band called fist that played, you know, like eight shows or so. And then we were, uh, switched to food fight and we got to play with uh, soul side which was awesome um and then quickly we moved to uh duncan uh i hooked up with duncan and then we started doing death watch which they put out a seven inch right and then we flipped into endpoint and then how how later. does that happen with duncan just because and correct me if i'm wrong but i'm going off of my memories from like the 90s you guys always seem to like it seemed like best friends, right? Like am yeah. I am I am I am I wrong? I, and and so then how does like how did you guys meet? What was like did, did you hit it off right right away? What's the thing there? No. Duncan was Duncan had an older sister and was already like in the scene, so he was way cooler than I was. 
Uh, he was in a band called Crisis, you know, and I remember uh, thinking, like, like he didn't like me or something, or he kicked me at a show because he was had, like, a devil's lock, was in boots, and was, like, like 15, like, eh. And so, uh, anyway, uh, we, I can't remember how we started hanging out. Doug has a better memory for this, but we started hanging out, and then I, the band that was in fist was with jason graff who was friends with duncan and so they're doing a new band and they were like well we should invite this rob penny rob to come sing for us um and so i tried out and they said it was hilarious that still talks to say like you know i started rolling around the floor like i was so like you know energetic and hyper uh and so that's kind of how it all came about and you know we've really been I, you know, I'm an only child, so I never had a, a, any brothers. Um, and then, and I don't know, we just became very close. Spent a lot of time together. We still, you know, we still talk every other day, at least. Uh, he's up in North Dakota, South Dakota now. And so, you know, I, he's probably the closest thing I had to a brother. So that's just kind of how it, how it's played out. But I'm saying, like, the way you just talked about him, like, it's kind of how you got, like, very reverential. That, I... I I don't know what it was, but I kind of saw that. Even though, like, it's not like I spent, like, I would talk to you and I would talk to him. I never didn't, didn't really hang out with the both of you at the exact same time when you guys were out in California. But I, I could just see that. And so you guys start Death Watch. And I did a little bit of research. Tell me if this is correct. You Did, did you guys do, like, a 17-song cassette? Or is that, or is... That was Endpoint. That was a switch over. So okay. that's called it, Spirits Are Willing. Okay, and, yes, And yes. that actually came out on vinyl later. Uh, but, yeah, that was, like, kind of Death Watch. And then we 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 were, like, we got to change the name. Duncan Why? was into, like, Duncan was, well, Duncan was into, like, a... Um, lot in the horror and, and and creepy things and death watch is like the name of a beetle that goes up like bangs his head and lets you i don't know that i think the myth was that you know you're gonna die or something if you hear this beetle's head and so we started getting into like you know hardcore hardcore and um and so we're like we need, we need a name that sounds and so he actually proposed endpoint uh because he was taking geometry in school <laughs> And then I came up with the, the kind of definition behind it, which is on the back of those shirts. I was like, oh, this is what it means. And like, yeah. And so we, it was, a, so that demo or that 17 song demo kind of really was a amalgam of both those bands. We were growing, we were learning how to play our instruments. Uh, we were doing uh, di different things. You'll listen to that first, uh, at the spiritual will and it's hilarious. Like, there, there'll be like a junk junk song and there's one that's kind of like a weird like you know like what little teenagers could do you know of like a Metallica sounding song 